0: Welcome into the Hazard Ground Podcast. As always, we appreciate you joining us each and every week before we get to this week's guest, who is a guest who wrote in to us on our website and offered up to tell his story, which again is always amazing. I certainly appreciate you guys reaching out to us on hazardground.com and being willing to share your story. And it's a pretty amazing one at that all detailed in a book. We'll get to that coming up in a moment. Please don't forget about our promotion with Amazon. Uh, I certainly appreciate everybody uh, chipping in and helping out, but this is an easy way for you to donate to veterans charities all across America, just from the comfort of your own home. You go to our website, hazardground.com. You click on the Amazon button at the bottom of the homepage. Uh, It'll redirect you to Amazon. You can do all of your normal Amazon shopping, buy whatever you like, whatever you need, no matter how big, how small. We'll get a percentage of what you guys spend, and then we'll donate a percentage of that back to some of the charities and organizations you've heard featured here on the show. Uh, And certainly feel free to recommend to us one as well. Just write to us on the website. But it's an easy way for you guys to help out veterans' charities just by going to hazardground.com and clicking on the Amazon button first. As well, follow us on all the social media sites, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at hazardground, at podcast. And don't forget to continue to leave us Apple reviews, help grow this show. Uh, We are starting to get some traction here uh, and gain some more numbers. We're certainly very appreciative of that, but share this podcast with a friend. Tell them about it. Share the word on social media. Let us know uh, why you love the show with an Apple review. Give us five stars, thumbs up, and uh, don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel as well and check out all of our great content there. So appreciate you guys doing that. All right, this week's guest has spent 31 years in uniform, both enlisted as officer and ended up retiring as a lieutenant colonel, he has a combat deployment to Afghanistan, including multiple other deployments around the world throughout his career. He was diagnosed with an acute learning disability at a very young age, then had multiple other physical disabilities that almost ended his career several times over. And he wrote a book detailing it all called A Soldier Against All Odds, uh, as he details his career and all the challenges and the ups and downs that have gone through it. And he is Jason Pike joining us here on the Hazard Ground. Jason, welcome and thank you so much for being here.
1: Hey, thank you for, for having me. I'm glad to be here.
0: Uh, It's great to be with you. And again, thank you for, uh, for offering yourself up as a guest here on the show. Always love that. I mean, a lot of people are so uh, shy or or unsure if their story should be told. And, you know, I say it all the time, your story has value, your story has purpose, and someone will relate to it. So thank you for, uh, for having the guts to step up and do this.
1: Wonderful. I'm looking forward to it.
0: All right. So 31 years. Um, And again, you know, it's, it's incredible. If you read the book reviews uh, for a soldier against all odds on Amazon. There are, there are, there are plenty of interesting thoughts here, uh, on your journey and your story. Uh, before we get to you, or just kind of curious when you write a book and you read all those reviews, like how do you take them? Do you you take them personally when people, you know, might not necessarily, uh, look at the thing the same way you do?
1: Well, uh, a lot of them are my soldiers and I really enjoy hearing them from my soldiers and they're like, how the hell did you do this shit? And, uh, I enjoy it. Um, I'm happy with all the reviews, really. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, start back at the beginning. 17-year-old kid, uh, signs up for the military in a very sort of nondescript time, as far as military history is concerned, in the mid-80s, where nothing really was going on, and you were just trying to be all you can be. By the way, which is back now is an Army slogan, being <laughs> all you can be. Being all you can be, yeah. I, w- I
1: failed the first grade. Uh, my biggest problem was reading and writing and following instructions, which is – kind of critical in any soldier's life and uh there was not a whole hell of a lot of expectations for me uh they pretty much well you know you might want to join the army or military of some sort so that's kind of how I developed and how why I joined the military
0: well you do you diagnosed with this learning disability um and you actually get left back right you had to repeat first grade
1: I had to repeat first grade and I, it's on paper that I had a learning problem uh it was saying hey you're, you know your son is seven years old and uh you know he has a lot of problems just understanding things following instructions reading and writing yeah and uh matter of fact even after even after i had a college degree it was still written down that i had problems and so uh yeah that's uh i gotta I
0: can... ask i mean kids are mean um trust me i have them uh, you know, when you repeat first grade, like I'm sure how much does that stick with you? How much is that still bought? Like, cause I'm sure there were other kids who had to tease you about it.
1: Well, it was, it was, it was kind of thought, well, yeah, he's kind of a dummy. And, uh, I just stayed alone a good bit, but I had immediate friends around my neighborhood in Georgia, outside of Norcross, Georgia, but, uh, no, it was, uh, it stuck on me more than anything else. In other words, I'm thinking, Wow. I don't think I'm going to be able to amount to much just because I can't follow what everyone else is following.
0: Uh, I am not far from Norcross, Georgia, right here in good old Smyrna. So uh, we, we, we would have been neighbors at some point in time. All right. So you get through all this. Now, when you get into uh, the point where you're ready to sign up for the military, just curious as to why and how much did your learning disability or Um, well, again, we're skipping some of the physical disabilities you were diagnosed with, but how how does all that come into play when you're trying to enlist?
1: Well, uh, when I enlisted at the age of 17, I was already, I was a junior in high school. I lied to the army that I had no problems physically. It was back before the internet. I said, no matter how I got in, I was going to get in. And and so I didn't have a college degree when I went into the national guard. So the national guard is considered less than best. You didn't have to have a Uh, a high school diploma. And I don't know how in the hell I passed the ANSFAB test. That's one thing that's a mystery for me. But hell, I got in, I got in the National Guard and they were looked at as the nasty girls or the no-goes. And so we were a bunch of yahoo's out of South Carolina that were, uh, you know, wanting to be soldiers.
0: So let me ask you, what was the physical disease that you were diagnosed with that you had to lie about?
1: It was osteomyelitis, which is a okay. bone. Yeah, it, 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 twice, it, uh, dissolved the left knee of, yeah. Uh, and so, it, but it, the damn thing grew back. And so, uh, I have no, I'm not a doctor, but I was able to get it grown back, but I never told them anything about that.
0: I mean, how much pain were you in though? Like, did it hurt oh, on a deal? Yeah. I was on crutches
1: for a long time, seven, about eight, nine years old. It was just a, I couldn't play football. I, I couldn't do sports. Uh, I, I got very weak, and uh, but over time it, it grew back. So by the time I did join the army, uh, Army National Guard at age seventeen, uh, it was okay. It wasn't that bad, and I, I kept working out. I did the leg lifts and I did the you know the squats and tried to build up the muscles around the both you know the legs. So I think that helped it.
0: Well, you get in past the recruiters. Um, is there a point in time where the physical stuff begins to become, to to hamper you, or is this one of these things where you ultimately said, hey, there's no way I'm going to let this stop me kind of deal?
1: It, it was more of the mental. The uh, It was like when I went into basic training in 1983, it was like drinking water through a damn fire hose do this, do that, and I think, what the hell, so it, at that, the physical was not as much as going back to that learning problem of just, tri- I, how do I tie my shoes up, I, I, how do I put my stuff on, and that stuff just built, I, I couldn't get, I couldn't handle it, and 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 I almost got kicked out, they sent me, this is a It was. they sent me to a criminal correctional facility at Fort Sill, Oklahoma because I wasn't getting my shit together and I didn't and uh, what they did it was kind of like one of those scared straight programs you go into a facility and it was day one all over again and all kinds of shit so I I came out of there all beaten up and bloodied up as a scared straight program and that improved me a little bit but my drill sergeant wanted to kick me out of the army, but he didn't because I, I just kept on going
0: Wow. Um, when you graduate basic training, do you feel like, you know, okay, I I've, I've done the hardest part of this whole thing now.
1: Yes. When I graduated, I was, Oh my God. I was like, I can't believe I even did it. And a lot of soldiers around me, when you see those reviews, it was like, uh, they couldn't believe I even made it. And, uh, and even and so yeah, I was very happy. I, I couldn't talk about what I just talked about about going to that facility and getting all bloody and you know day one all over again. I I couldn't I couldn't talk about that criminal correction facility story for many many years because it was sort of like it changed me. It didn't improve my disability. I still had my learning problems and in following instructions, but it definitely uh, told me that there's certain things I, I can do about anything I want to if I set my mind to it. Now, going back to that physical problem, I don't know. I worked on those legs and I worked on my body good enough. And that was not bothering me at the time. And it started building up over, yeah.
0: You know, um, when you're going through all this, is there ever a point where you think this isn't worth it? That that maybe you you, sh- you, you had made a mistake or that all, the, all that you're about to endure and all that you're going through isn't necessarily going to net a result that you think it is?
1: When I was going through it, I thought I was gonna get kicked out when I went to that facility. I thought it was worth it uh because this is <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot of other things I could do. And I would be very, very sad if I got kicked out of the military because I definitely could not go to college. That's what my that's what all the people said. That's what the the instructors and the and that's what the scores said. So I thought that the military had to be one of the things that I was gonna to have to succeed in. So um, that's those. That was a thought going through my mind, and when I got out of it, I started saying, "Hell, I can do anything." I know they told me I can't go to college, but hell, I just went through this stuff, and uh, I, I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna try college. So, so I went after basic training. I went into the senior year. I was totally changed, and I, I decided I was gonna try to go to a college, which would be a junior college my my daughter calls it the dummy college because <laughs> she thinks all the dummies go there
0: so are you going to college with the thought that one day you'd be an officer was that was that part of the the whole thing or are you just doing it cuz you felt like you needed to do it
1: well i felt that i graduated basic training and that was a heck of a notch on my belt and i thought i could probably do more in the military at that point i started Later on, after I got into college, I started thinking about maybe I could become an officer because I saw officers as sort of managers that come down and tell the sergeants what to do, and I said, hey, like you know, shit flows, you know, flows downhill, I think I could probably do that, then have to deal with all this petty little detail shit, so I started thinking I might want to become an officer, but little did I know that officers also got to write reports and read and follow instructions, too, so, uh. I, I was just thinking uh, it might be easier and better
0: pay. It's not all it's cracked up to be, that's for sure. Uh, there are some benefits, but to say the least, uh, there is there, there there are some headaches that come along with the officer side of the house. Um, and, and the pay doesn't always uh, make it worth it. But that's neither here nor there, different conversation. Okay, so at what point, you know, you, you finish basic training. I mean, how long do you end up staying enlisted in total and sort of what, what goes on at that point in your career? So I was enlisted
1: for about four years. I made it up from a private, E1 private, up to an E4 in the South Carolina National Guard. And during that time, I took junior ROTC, uh, Junior Reserve Officer Training Program, and I I started looking at becoming an officer. And uh, yes, so I was enlisted four years. I went to the uh, NCO Primary Leadership Development course. Took as much training as I could as a junior enlisted person that junior ROTC person, and then eventually I finished that junior college in two years. I mean, that junior college was easy to get into. They just said, "Hey, we'll, we'll take anybody lame, lazy, or crazy," and so that was easy easy to get in. And once I got into that junior college, I transferred into Clemson University, which is a more more reputable college than where I came from. But uh, that I had to build up confidence academically. I was a little slower. I was on probably the five, five and a half year plan. And it wasn't engineering. It was education, something easy. But uh, whatever it took, uh, I would take it slower. And, uh, one, of my, uh, one of my students, uh, one of my colleagues says, man, the only reason you get a 3.5 grade point average is because you take a low load. And, I, and that was exactly right. I just took it a little bit slower and I took easier classes to, you know, to, to climb to the goal of a college education.
0: Did you end up doing ROTC at Clemson or no?
1: Yes. So that was my contract. Uh, they, yes, I did the senior ROTC. The, the Yeah. And I got contracted uh, at Clemson University and uh, graduated there.
0: Exactly. Where did you end up branching?
1: Well, I branched the uh, chemical core. Um, so, oh. uh, <laughs> so that was the la- chemical core. That's, you know, that's chemical defense. That's, you know, nasty stuff. Now, that's where that's where the lowest am- I mean nobody wants to be in the chemical core. No, I,
0: <laughs> I get that nobody wants to be in chemical core, but it's not exactly like you it's for idiots. Like you have to be really <laughs> smart to understand you know chemical radiation, biological, nuclear like this is not like for the dummies. Like go well, be a transportation officer.
1: <laughs> well, see, I I graduated okay. I was prior enlisted. so I graduated second to the last in my class, in ROTC, because I was never around, because I thought it was a waste of time, but I was always around to pick up that paycheck, you know, every month, but to me, I thought it was a waste, left, right, left, the map reading and stuff like that, now, I think I got, I think I got branched chemical core, because no one else wants it, and I think I put up, you have a list of, uh, you want this, 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 or this, yep. Yep. And, uh, and, uh, and so they the
0: top six branches.
1: Yeah. And, uh, I think I may have put chemical at the end, but I you bad. know, well, when we were in our chemical class at, uh, Fort Cl- McClellan, Alabama, they said, who, 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 who does not want to be in this branch and about 90% of all those tenants raised their hand. Yeah. So that's, I mean, it's nasty stuff. You don't want to think about chemical people dying you know, itching and twitching and dying that way and having to defend yourself. uh, That's just not a desirable branch to be in.
0: No, it's not. And and again, I mean, if you put it on there, you were getting it. You found that out after the fact, right? Like, all you had to do was leave chemical off and you might not have been a branch chemical. But uh, so where do you end up first? What's your first duty station?
1: Well, um, I was pretty lucky. I got the 10th Special Forces Group at Fort Devens, Massachusetts. I was the only one selected uh, out of my class to go there, and everybody wanted to go where I was going because they didn't want to put up with that conventional military, and, uh, you know, a lot of people ask me, how the hell did you get into the 10th Special Forces group as a support guy? Uh, I I don't know. Maybe I was prior enlisted. Maybe I had my airborne. I did my airborne at ROTC, Uh, but a lot of new tenants get their airborne patches in ROTC, so... Could have been a little bit of luck, maybe a little bit older. Uh, yeah, I had served in the National Guard, and I think Special Operations, they'd like a little bit more mature folks, but uh, I was happy to get in there.
0: So that puts you in a very unique environment. Uh, and what year month is this when you get to uh, 10 Special Forces?
1: Uh, It would be February of 93. and So I'd already served like from 82 to 93 in either some capacity yeah, of the guard or ROTC, stuff like that. So this is
0: when you finally get on active duty, just so we're clear, right? Exactly. So I did
1: a lot of years reserve and uh, ROTC. And then this is when I finally got my first station with special forces uh, as a support guy. Yeah,
0: exactly. By the way, at, at no point in time over the course of between when you first enlist to active duty, does the mental debilitations or the physical limitations, uh, is it ever brought to the forefront by anybody? But like, hey, uh, Jason, you might need to, you know, think about a different line of work kind of deal. Like, are you manage- You're managing to keep this under wraps the whole time?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I didn't say anything. I was not, I, I tried to hide it as best as I could, um, but people picked up on it a little bit uh, everyone, uh, they, they, could tell I was a little bit slower. Uh, and so, yeah, so I, I, I stayed quiet. Um, I think some of my brothers and sisters says, you know, he, he didn't start saying a damn word until he was probably over the age of 30 because my, well, well, you know, so I had to, my confidence was lower. Um, yes, right. I, you know, during my twenties, I had problems with law enforcement and all kinds of crazy stuff that happened. So, but, uh, I, I, I finally got over it. And so, uh, But yeah, I was happy. It was sort of like a brand new start. Yeah, I'm stepping out of the National Guard. I'm going on special forces. Right. So uh, it was a unique culture and I enjoyed it very much.
0: Um, How much do you find out like after the fact that where you ended up was so unconventional and you were going to be doing things that you probably never thought you were doing when that young kid enlisted back in 1983?
1: Well, I'm going to tell you, uh, Special Horses was probably the best cultural fit for me. Yeah. They seem to they seem to accept everybody and all their differences in a well, way. They, that, accept
0: you, they accept you if you can do the job. Well, That's yeah, yeah, that,
1: and I, I I I was more of a, at the battalion staff support level. I did jump with them, and, and you know, I did go on exercises with them and things like that. But uh, I remember one one master sergeant. He was like a Rambo dude, like you know, big guy with all the tabs and shit. And he says. Look at this dumbass lieutenant we got in our staff. He he he's got a master's degree. That means anybody can get a damn master's degree if he can get one. And but you know what? I I put up with that stuff and I just kept quiet about it. I never wanted to complain about. I mean that I was a slow person uh, academically and that it was verified. A lot of people say they got ADHD and they say that stuff, but I had on paper from, from Emory university, a reading center uh, from 1972 that I had, I thought I was pretty much, there's not much expectation there, you
0: know? Yeah. Um, so is this where you get your first taste of overseas life?
1: Yeah. Well, I had a little bit, just to just a, just a two week, uh, national guard weekend warrior event in Italy, but, With Special Forces, we went to Canada on some cold weather uh, operations, and we went to Montana. We jumped into Fort Harrison, Montana, did some things there, did some water jumps around Fort Devons. And so uh, it was just an exciting, great group of people. You know, when they get outside and they go for physical fitness, they'll be hanging out with their dogs and drinking coffee and scratching their balls. It was a totally unconventional, and I I really enjoyed it. Uh, It was a just a great
0: group of guys. Yeah. I mean, again, it's uh, uh it's a, an incredible environment. I was very fortunate to spend part of my career there as well. And it was, it was by far and away the highlight of it. Um So we are now, uh, you know, in the late nineties, um, wh- what is going on from your career standpoint? I mean, obviously nothing's going on in the world that you need to worry about until nine 11, but you know, I, I, I want to try to encapsulate some of the time and what you had went through. Uh, because I, I know there was at one point in your career, um, you ended up getting investigated, correct?
1: Now that's later part of my career. Yeah. And so that's in the later part of my career. Um, uh, what I did is I, when I was in special forces, I didn't want to go back into the, conven- uh, the conventional chemical. So I knew I was going to get rotated out of special forces. I did something they told me I couldn't do that's another thing you say be careful what they tell you you can't do because they said you can't branch transfer but i did i did a branch transfer from the chemical Corps to the medical service corps and i became like a public health officer and it goes on from there yes and, uh, when,
0: when do you make that change again
1: right out of special forces I, I went probably when in uh 90, 90, 1994
0: Yep. And this was this was done. Why? What was the biggest reason for doing this? Just because you didn't want to go back to the conventional?
1: I don't want to go back to the conventional uh, chemical type. That's one thing. I knew I was going to eventually get rotated, and I wanted. To, and I I decided to make a career in the military when I was in special forces. So I said, well, I got to have a more specialized area. I don't want to put up with the conventional. I wanted something like medical. I remember asking for medical when I was in ROTC, and they say, no, you can't do that. You got to have a doctor's degree. Well, that's not right. There's a lot of different specialties in the Army Medical Department, dietitians, uh, public health, preventive medicine. It goes on and on that you don't have to have a doctor's degree. So I got into a unique specialty of uh, public health in the Army Medical Service Corps.
0: And where does that take you from outside of uh, 10 Special Forces?
1: I go straight to Korea. I become an executive officer of a medical attachment
0: in uh, Daegu, South Korea. Uh, fun assignment or no?
1: it was fun assignment. Uh, again, uh, this is the, one of the first times I've had women, you know, uh, in, in the, in the, in the, now it's 1994, 95 ish. And uh, there's females in the, in the med- a lot more females there. And uh, so, yeah, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was overseas. I enjoyed the uh, Korean there's culture. Always
0: mixed, there's always mixed reviews on Korea. I enjoyed the food. I enjoyed the women. And
1: uh, I, and uh, now I'm, I'm starting to get prepared to get that, number one badge of the medical service corps is called the expert field medical badge that's a hard-ass badge to get and uh i, I tried out for that one and failed i failed up on the dmz uh, uh you know i mean there's a whole there's a big story of me uh falling into shit and almost drowned in shit if you want
0: to go there <laughs> yeah um it's too well, many there's too, there's too many stories yeah to say the least um So when you finish this tour in Korea, where are you heading next?
1: After Korea, I go to get my formal training in the uh, medical department at Fort Sam Houston, Texas, and that's going to be, uh, they're going
0: to back to back uh, different types of training for about a year. And and this is all in the public health realm. Do you know what, like, you're, you're, I mean, is this also a move you're thinking about, hey, when I get out, I'll have this on the outside kind of deal as, as a skill that might be, more refutable or I mean, it seems like you're going to go through a lot just to avoid the conventional forces.
1: Yeah, I'm going to stay in the medical service corps. And I went through a whole lot of training. Uh, I went through the army advanced course, I went through the public health, uh, you know, preventive medicine course, I went through the Air Force entomology course. So I had a whole lot of training there. Um, so I, I decided I want to stay in I definitely like the, you know, I was a, my specialty in the uh, public health was an army entomologist, which is prevention of diseases and folks from insects. Uh, as you know, malaria kills more people. I mean, just a trivia question is the mosquito kills more more people on this planet than any other animal in the world through disease transmission. Uh, so I went into a unique specialty. It's under the public health as a preventive medicine uh, officer.
0: Yeah. I'll keep that in mind when summer rolls around and I'm getting eaten alive by mosquitoes. Uh, Good thing to remember. Uh, That said, (laughs) so uh, where are you leading up to, where are you in 9-11? I mean, you were still in school at that point in time then? So at 9-11, I
1: finished a master's degree. I I got picked up, believe it or not, uh, at Colorado State University to get a master's of entomology. And at 9-11, I was exactly going to Korea as a commander of a medical detachment. And I remember exactly where I was at when those towers fell. I was, I was in the lawyer's office uh, at uh, Fort Sam Houston, Texas, because I had, you know, you have to do your will before you go overseas. And so I was doing my will. And I had a little baby on the floor, and the, the lawyer says, hey, you know, the towers crash, And that's something that set my mind. But I was going to Korea at that time as a, to be a commander.
0: Okay. Um, is this, does 9-11 derail your, your plans going forward?
1: No, no, not at all. I'm, I'm I still planning to stay in. I'm, I, I'm still planning. I'm the whole time after once I, you know, like I said, once I hit special forces, I plan to stay in. And no, it doesn't derail me. I they because they need, they still need troops uh, in support of uh, the, you know, South
0: Korea. So I'm, I'm, I'm going there. Are you feeling like, you know, the war is the place to be for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. We had that. You know, you you grow up, you do all this training, and. uh know here i'm going to south korea i've already been there once now i'm going again and everyone else is going to iraq uh afghanistan or what have you so you start feeling that you know you're just a little bit kind of pushed to the side but that's just the way the events unfold and i figured that you know maybe another time after korea i could i could have my time in the sandbox
0: i mean you know given everything that you you've had to overcome personally at this point in time you i mean you feel like you must be coasting right like hey I've got this all figured out. Um, I'm going to end up finishing 20 years in the middle. I mean, you're 83 to 2001 is 18 years. So you're still clearly, you know, um, hanging on and being able to do very well. So what's your mindset here? Is it just to try to finish your time and get out or are you, you looking for another challenge?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm looking to do 20 years. At 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 that time, I, I saw 20 years as a key because you get your retirement and you get your medical and you kind of set at that point so that that was my goal but 20 it had to be 20 years on active duty service so even though that point would maybe 18 I still have got to go from 1993 to 20 years plus oh well 1992 or whatever so um, but uh, so yeah I'm, I'm I'm on board to uh, to go for my 20 years over yeah. all
0: right so um, when do you end up getting to Afghanistan?
1: So I get to Afghanistan a little bit later down the road. I know you went through that investigation, though. I, I had three tours in Korea, so I had the federal investigation there. That was basically a thrown. Okay, so, which
0: which time in Korea did that happen?
1: That was oh seven to oh two thousand seven to two thousand ten. So
0: I can, if you want me to? I can go into that. No, um, yeah. I mean, I, I, to this point, you've had no trouble, right? Like you're not, you know. Uh, while I, I, I get it, there's like a, a rogueness about you, just because you're bucking the system and you know trying to uh, uh, make sure nobody finds out about the things they're not supposed to find out about. Well, but
1: I, I did have I did have some problems with the law and the National Guard, and I had some problems yeah. at, at Fort Sam Houston.
0: I had a driving under the influence.
1: System, and I was and that was put on my. I had a Goar, a General Officer me- Memorandum of Reprimand that went on my record, and when I was a captain. And well, so, back in the
0: day, look. If you got a DUI, you didn't make it to captain. If you weren't like or, that, was a career ender back in the day.
1: And so again, alluding to your thoughts right now is how the hell did you get out of that shit? Well, that's the same thing that's happened in this book. Oh, time and time. So, and and again with that DUI, it was on my record. I'm out of the army again. In other words, it's no hope. It's conventional wisdom that you are gone. That's that's what I mean. Yes. Um, so I stood before the uh, tan commander, got rid of the GOMAR, which means you're screwed. And we know that. Um, but guess what? I, I found a friend who was a sergeant who told me it happened to him and there's an appeal process. It's going to take a while and you got to work with it. It's going to take two or three years. you got to get people's papers. you got to get a lot of influence to say you're, you're worthy to stay on board. And I went through a lengthy process to appeal it and it, It went from the performance part of my file to the restricted part, but that took some time. And again, how the hell did you do it? How did you get through college? How did you get through this DUI? How did you get? So it 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 was like one damn thing after the other, and that's just one of many examples.
0: What was the uh, by the way? What were the circumstances behind the DUI?
1: I was drinking out at the midnight radio. Yeah, I was drinking. (laughs) I was drinking out at the Midnight Rodeo. Uh, well, I see, this was a, I, and I, I was I was drinking and driving. I went into a restaurant, Taco Cabana. I was sitting in line and I saw a police car out front waving me to come outside into the parking lot. And uh, I thought he needed help. So I ran out there because I've never been, I've never been waived from a restaurant to go outside to a, see a police officer in a parking lot. So I went out there and I said, hey, what's going on? Do I need, you need help? He says, have you been drinking? I said, yeah. He says, is that your car over there? I said, yeah. And he did, he, he did the, uh, he did the test on me and then he took, he locked me up, took me downtown. I was cuffed, stuffed. And then the MPs got me and, uh, sent me back to Fort Sam. And, uh, that was how that happened. Yeah.
0: So you walked into a DUI.
1: <laughs> I walked into a DUI like a dumbass. If I didn't, if I didn't say, if I said, no, I hadn't been drinking, he would have said, but I was, uh, uh yeah, I, I yeah i I said yeah i walked right into
0: it it was my fault (laughs) wow uh so explain the appeals process then i mean oh gosh the appeals process
1: well you need to get a get get an attorney to start writing letters oh god it is a book (laughs) i look at it as a, a a feat of just lengthy bureaucratic stuff i had to go through uh that right there alone uh it it was a two and a half year i think the amount of paper was about two inches and it's support letters and you're valuable to your country because they've invested you got all it was just i think i went down from so i had i had to go and to the they try to wear you down like the court they want to wear you down and uh but you have this procedure that procedure this you have to come in and come in and come in and go out and come in it's like over a period of time, but I just stuck with it. And, um, uh, you know, that, that right there, uh, just again, it's like, how the hell did you do all this stuff? And uh, how did you make it through? I kept surprising the hell out of me. That's the reason I wrote the story of a soldier against all odds, because even my father who knew me the best and my mother was like looking at me, like, how in the hell did you, do? I mean, so, and even my soldiers and the other officers were like, how did, how did you do this? How did you get through that? And, uh, so, but no, it is, it was a
0: leading. All right. So DUI cleared, um, Fort San Houston training done, uh, Afghanistan going on, Iraq going on, you're heading back to Korea.
1: Heading back to Korea, third time's a charm. And, uh, so yeah,
0: that's
1: it was not, if I, you know, that was probably the, uh, i you know I hey, it's the third time I did well twice. might as well go back, I know the area and I know all the public health and all the you know the job related things over there, but no, I mean, I walked into basically a turf a turf war um i you know I mean everybody's got their little space, and if you don't play the game correctly, you might find yourself thrown under the
0: bus so okay, so what do you mean turf war explain?
1: you know um at that time we had a uh, person i'm going to make up some names by the name of in the book it was a Ted Small he was a researcher i'm in public health i'm in medical and and he's going out and collecting all these mosquitoes and doing all this well, really good research really he's a very smart guy but i am more of an you know, I'm a second class uh, public. I'm a I'm, I'm, I'm enlisted guy. I, I ain't I ain't as, as good as him, and I can't write as well. I've got problems, and and he wants to just to, he wants he wants me out of the army. I think he wants me or or just pass it to this guy somewhere else. I'm not playing with him, and he doesn't want you know. I, I just can't get along very well with him. and uh, so there's there's ways in senior management in the military like well, you got a sergeant major maybe maybe you got a commander maybe you got someone senior at the time i was lieutenant colonel how you if you don't like someone and you have a particular niche how do you get rid of them in other words how, what's a way you can't fire them they're, they're pretty much locked in right i mean unless i mean they can get a bad evaluation but what you can do is you can stir up rumors and uh try to get them out or to try to get the command attention In my case, they leaked something hazy to something called uh, subversion and espionage. In other words, they thought it's saída, subversion and espionage, uh, you know, that I was doing something, settling secrets to to, to, uh, people overseas, which was total bullshit. There was a hotline, a saída hotline. Something went into the hotline that was hazy, a complaint that I, I don't know exactly, but it had to do with you know dealing with government officials and giving you know documents to them so it went into the hotline i was brought into the commander's office up there on dragon hill lodge um, i had mi military intelligence and i had cid uh central uh, investigation uh, folks and uh they went up there interviewed me interviewed my full colonel commander and then started asking me questions related to any outside activities and uh, doing anything, uh, gi- giving documents or secrets to the foreign nationals. I, what, now, what the, you know?
0: Are you like totally caught off guard by all this?
1: Yeah, I'm totally caught off guard. Well, like, you know what I'm saying I knew I knew something was going to. You know it, what? What what I'm saying is I knew like when I walked into the office and that first time, third t- third time in, I could tell. You know, you have an animal instinct that you know. It, 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 I can't put my hand on it, but I know something's going to happen. You ever had like uh you know something bad might happen, but but you don't know what it is. It's surprising. I had that feeling, and so when I was called in, you know, he pissed me off. His, his damn name was. But they're just doing their jobs. Like, where, 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 do you do you want a defense attorney? You, you're brought we, we might have you charged with something. Do you need? You, would you like to have a defense attorney? I said, Hell yeah, I want a defense attorney. This shit's all bullshit. You know, this is a bunch. of, You can check my damn record. But what they were doing, I was totally emotional at the time. I wasn't thinking, I, you know, I, I've been trained to go to war and I've been trained to shoot a weapon. Hell, I've never been trained to get <laughs> to go to, through a, a freaking investigation. So uh, so he says, you know, when he was, you know, he talked to us, the CID guy, the criminal, and he says, man, I think he thought it was bullshit. Because when he walked out the door, he says, he put his hand on my shoulder and he says, try not to let this body. try not to let this bother me fuck yeah fuck you motherfucker it pissed me off and so i had to go to the criminal i had to go to get a defense attorney and i talked to him and he talks with us and he says you sure you ain't doing nothing ain't doing nothing i said well he says guess what if you ain't doing nothing they ain't got nothing on you so what they're going to be doing is going to be following you around and checking you out to see what they can get on you because that's their job And, and, and that's what they did they just you know they would there'd be crazy phone calls and people following me around with boom cameras when I was off post and um, there was just it was considered just check trying to check on me and trying to monitor my activities and things of that nature which nothing nothing ever came to it but it kind of drove me like really really had a lot of anxiety and I I, I felt bad I I thought I was going to get kicked out again maybe this is my third time I'm going to get almost get kicked out of the army with it so I I had to go through that and you can make, so these hotlines, these are, sometimes you, sometimes people can play these things with games. They can, they can throw hazy shit out there to say, oh, uh, this might be, And but there are people at the end, other end of that hotline have to go through the procedures of their job to check out if it's true or not. And that's what they did. And there was nothing there, but
0: it drove me, it
1: it, it really, it really was a hard time, very hard time in my. Life.
0: So, did you end up finding out what the you know bottom line of the investigation was? Like, did you get any more clarity on it?
1: That's what I'm thinking. See, that's what I was pissed off about. It's like, okay, after I leave Korea, no one says anything. Nothing ever happens. But see, no one ever says, "Hey, they're, they're, hey, I'm sorry, man. We, it was a false investigation," or, or the or the attorney doesn't come to me and say, "Hey, you know, there's nothing there, or whatever." It just it just goes away. It's just one of those. It was no one says anything, and so. You, once you when I left, it was just nothing there. I mean, I, I, my name, my name as a lieutenant colonel was mud. <laughs> it Was mud because you know, even though it's supposed to be secret, they sort of you know, people kind of know. Uh, There's things that hit the top, and, and so when I come out of Korea, I, I, I go to America, and then I'm eventually going to Afghanistan. But I was my name was mud at that time, and the only time I got redeemed like a Jesus Christ was when I came back from Afghanistan. And like what? Well, what the hell happened in Korea? Why? How can I be Jesus Christ now in a piece of shit before? Y'all tell me that. And so I was pissed off because they're going to think, oh, you can get any assignment you want to after you know after uh, after Afghanistan. But I'm still thinking about Korea. That thing, that place, fun, fucked me up. And so you're you're you think now okay? I got a Bronze Star Afghanistan. No, no. I was like, I keep looking back at it. when you tried to push me down, when you tried to hose me, and then. But see, I don't know that, that, that these things. So my security. During that investigation, my security investigation was challenged and it and it, it came back. I, I had a security clearance. And again, we're going back to that same question. A lot of people wonder, how in the hell did he make it out of that crap? Just like that DUI. But it just kept on going. I just kept on going. And so these are just two of the things that have surprised the hell out of a lot of people. When I come out of Korea, they didn't know where to sign me. They, they, they didn't want to talk to you. They were scared. They were scared that I was going to be I don't know, sent off to the ghost land or somewhere. So they didn't really know where to put me Out of at that invest, after that investigation. I did my three years over there. Now, some civilians may ask, if all this crap is going on to you, like especially during an investigation, and you're, and you're in, in this anxiety point, you know, why don't you just get out? Why can't you just move? Well, I mean, you know, it's not that easy. You just don't move in a, in a certain specialty in the Army and also just, you know, I want to make my 20. I just don't want to quit. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm almost at that 20 years. And so I just need to, you know, that's, and so that's, that's why I didn't quit or just move, you
0: know. All right. So when you're told you're going to Afghanistan, um, are you sort of even like, to a certain extent, elated, like, hey, I'm getting away from all the BS and <laughs> I'm going to go down range. And I, I, you know, there's a chance for me to kind of start fresh kind of deal. It's like, Is that your mindset going into it?
1: That's my mindset to went into it. I said, this is my chance. That's This is my chance to possibly get redeemed. Also, I've never been into, I've been to other operations. I've been into hazardous duty areas like El Salvador, but I've never been into the true combat zone. So I was saying, yeah, this is my time. And uh, I'm going to be a commander of troops, which, you know, I'm good at commanding. I, you don't tell me to change a tire because I'll, I'll, I'll break the tire, but I'm good at commanding troops. So I said, this is going to be my zone. I'm going to go in here. We're going to do well. And it's also and I did think this might be a time to get redeemed. So um, that's 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 where I went to. And, and that's exactly what happened.
0: So where in Afghanistan do you end up Shindan Air Base? I was there for the
1: most part Shindan. It's on the west northwest, not far from Iran or Turkmenistan. I was in charge of about 18 camps of just base camp sanitation out in that
0: region command list. All right. And your your mission there is what?
1: Our mission there is base base camp sanitation. We would go from helicopter. Uh, we would go from base to base on hel- in helicopters and we would do, do inspections, water, food, trash, all that stuff that causes a funk in soldiers. We go out there, put things in order, uh, maybe enforce things and get the sand, you know, porta potties, all that stuff, all that stuff that gets uh, soldiers sick and into the uh, clinic we go out there and uh, enforce all those sanitation standards.
0: And what year is this that you get there?
1: So I get there in 2011 and I get out in 2012. So that would be about, about one year. Yeah. About one year. We trained up a whole lot at uh, (laughs) Fort McCoy. And then also did a whole lot of training at Fort Lewis, Washington. And so we did two different iterations of training before we went there. We had to get validated in our competency, just yeah. as soldiers yeah but also just to uh you know as in our companies in our public health competency areas yeah yeah
0: so i mean anything of significance happened there like you know you're not getting investigated again are you uh, any, <laughs> uh,
1: no okay you know you got the regular incoming rounds and things like that and uh sure i saw mm-hmm. a humvee IED uh blew up a, a humvee um we had to go to Kandahar for a little bit a little while you have the damn coupon it smells like bad and it's really bad down there but um, I got uh, no. I, I got one of my uh, executive officers. Uh, he charged me with being a, a, a racist and crap. He went to the IG. I said I'm no damn racist, and uh, that thing went away real fast. But no, I think overall we did very, very well. And uh, Afghanistan, um, I, got, I gave my first sergeant the Bronze Star. I got the Bronze Star, and we did very, very well. And matter of fact, Afghanistan was my best performance uh, probably in the history of the Army. Uh, when when, I, when it comes to uh, you know doing that mission,
0: yeah. oh so
1: I don't know. I guess I was driven. So <clears throat> I come back from Afghanistan. Now I got to get redeemed. So I was trained. I was a trained, and my dad died. My dad, my dad. And so this book, uh, Soldier Against All Odds, is also dedicated to my father because he was one. And I go and he he was the one who taught me about you know you can be a dumbass and you get, get you can get in trouble with the law, but never quit on anything that was a fundamental life lesson just you just don't quit because because uh, he was he, he was really poor when he grew up uh, they would call him white trash but no uh, so so you uh, what was the question uh, you got me off track
0: <laughs> no it was, it was just um you know about what what had happened uh, over there and, and oh, why okay.
1: oh uh, yeah so I was I, my dad, so so between so the downest of deepest darkest time of my life was after that investigation. I'm coming back home, but my dad's dying, and I'm going to war at the same time. So you had a one punch. That was a punch. That was that. Uh, that was the investigation. My dad died. Right. You know, I'm coming back and I see him die, and then at that time my dad's dying. Oh, by the way, I'm going to war, and I'm thinking, uh, you know, I was in. Uh, I was in. I could declare mental health at that point. I could go to the mental health folks, and I knew some folks from mental health that could get me. Get me out of Afghanistan because I can't. But then I started talking to my uncle who says, what would your dad think if you got out of Afghanistan trying to declare mental health? And I said, well, okay, I'm going to go and pick myself up and I'm going to Afghanistan and I'm going to do the best I can. And so uh, I I think the hardest part of Afghanistan for me as, as a commander was just getting the training, getting all the training and the logistics to get to Afghanistan. Once I get the soldiers trained up and then when we got to Afghanistan, it was kind of chill. It was kind of like, okay, everybody knows what to do. I'm just going to walk around, you know, walk around with management and just check things out as, you know, as a as a lieutenant colonel commander. And, and that's pretty much what happened. And But it was just that mental part of just getting through my father's death, which took a while. And then also in my mind, I'm thinking of that damn investigation. I'm still, nothing ever happened, but I'm still pissed off at that. So I've got a one, two, three punch. Afghanistan was just a minor aggravation in many ways because um, I wasn't trained for her, my dad's death and I wasn't trained for uh, the investigation. So now Afghanistan, I'm all 100 percent totally focused in Afghanistan. I, I, I got this certain focus that I've never had in my life. I don't know if it's because of all that stuff that's happened like my dad's death. And, but I said, I'm just going to do as best as I can and take care of my soldiers and then get the hell out of there.
0: So you do get out of there uh, unscathed. I assume nothing, you know, bad happens and, and uh, right. it ends up being a, a relatively successful, but uneventful deployment. So when you get home, are you thinking that like, Hey, I'm done now. I'm, I'm going to get out. Oh yeah.
1: I, I, I was done. I, 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 I was done. After Afghanistan, I was done, but they started saying, Hey man, you did a really good job. You, and then they said, Hey, you want to, what's what Simon do you want next? And I said, I don't know. I, I want to get out maybe. Uh, we took a family boat at that time because they offered me a sweet assignment in germany where you can just hang out in an easy job and drink beer and visit normandy and go visit countries and so i said well what do y'all want to do it's like this is an easy job and i'm burned out and uh they said let's go to germany and i said uh, i kind of i was still burned i said all right i'll go over there drink some beer hang out we'll do we'll, we'll and then we'll try, retire out of germany and so I did, and uh, I went over there, and that's what I did. I hung out, drank beer, and visited some places, and then put my uh, papers in for retirement.
0: So uh, you're uh, you're 100 sure of the decision at this point in time that you're done.
1: Uh, oh yeah, you'll know. So you'll know when you're done because yeah. you know the the army has the, any bureaucracy has a lot of bullshit. And once you once you get once you start complaining, once I started complaining about happened to go to all this mandatory stupid stuff training and uh, equal opportunity sexual harassment. I said, "Well, you know, I'm I don't, you know, we I'm done. I don't need to have this reminded me every day and stuff like that." So I said, "I'm out of here." Now. Yeah.
0: Um when you when you decide to get out, uh what is your physical and mental state? I mean, you know, and I asked that twofold, not only just, you know, mentally, how are you processing getting out, but also you know, you still have had this learning disability for all these years. You've had this this uh, physical debilitation for all these years. I mean, is has any of this stuff deteriorated over the course of, of you know, 30-plus years, or are you still able to hold it together pretty well?
1: Um, the physical parts, I've always maintained a good physical fitness, so that was pretty held together. You know, you've had your back injuries, your knee injuries, your, your little small things, But the main thing with me was just the post-traumatic stress syndrome. I had 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 a TB, just a a small amount of concussion while I was in the service. And that was just an accidental fall. But it was the PTSD. The PTSD is what affected me. For me, it was mostly that one, two, three punch. And it was accumulation of those things. Uh, That's what really... uh, Affected me and my process. I already had slow processing ability in the beginning, so once that started occurring, my process. It, when I was in Afghanistan, my processing ability was very, very low. Sometimes my first sergeant would say, do you, "Did you remember to do this and do that?" I said, "No, I don't, I don't remember." So I, I was going downhill after the investigation, after the service. I was totally burned, and I needed, I needed to regroup. I needed to go through therapy, and I needed to, you know, somehow process this thing uh you know without any job and with uh you know just just going through a counselor and just trying different types of therapies did you know what you wanted to do now that you were out at the time when i when I when i got out i just was looking to get regroup and get medical help for a a period of years and then uh, I, I always thought about something with the veterans. I had uh, this book. Uh, I'd always been thinking about this book, I, but it was, this book was nagging on me for a long time
0: uh, because
1: it, it was just something.
0: Let's discuss that. I mean, again, w- what puts you over the top to, to write it? Well, I grew up uh, with my father telling stories and this
1: book is a, is a, is a and so I could understand stories. I couldn't understand school instruction very well. So and uh and then everybody kept asking me i thought the theme could be survival and persistence and inspiration and hope because everybody wondered how in the world did i ever make you're a lieutenant colonel shit you're a major you're how to and so i said well there's a maybe i can explain all this and my i said well storytelling i can hire somebody to help tell a story Uh, all this all this is going to be donated all all the veterans anyway i donate so this is all done gone to veterans and uh veterans groups and nonprofits. so that's that's what uh that's what inspired me. I did work for a little so when COVID got hit, when everybody when COVID hit and everything shut down, you know, I couldn't even go to the gym anymore. I mean, everything was shut down. So I got bored and started surfing for jobs. I said, Well, if everybody's working at home, hell, I can work from home too. And so let me give me some of that COVID money. So what I did was I put a bunch of applications on the USA Jobs uh, website. Uh, I I, I think I put out 137 applications and I got two offers and I took the first offer. And again, everybody said, how did you get that federal job working from home making $75,000 a year? It's the same thing. And so, yeah, so I did that for two years, two and a half years. And once this book came out, I said, well, I'm going to market the book and get on podcasts. And that's kind of how it worked.
0: When uh, you write the book and it's done, how do you know when it's done? Like, I mean, <laughs> look, there's two things at play here. One, you, you have a, a, you know, diagnosed learning disability. So you, you're writing this on your own, right? Like, it's not like there's, there's a publisher standing over your shoulder and, and guiding you through it. You're sort of venturing into uncharted territory here, which is nothing new for you, obviously, at this point in time. But, um, you know, h- how did you know, like, it was worthy of being a book?
1: Well, I had help. I had a ghostwriter that helped me with right. it. And, uh, and 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 I went through over two and a half years of just answering various questions through the Zoom, just like we're on right now. I was with my ghostwriter, he's asking me the details of my life, and I worked and I worked and I worked, and I did the audiobook too. The audio book came up with more stories. It was like squeezing a squeezing a piece of fruit, like an orange, and, and, and over a long period of time. And uh, it was very it was just now you're seeing the product of me relieved from writing the damn book. It's like so, so, it, so that but writing the book. It did put me in a hospital because I was so stressed out from this. When I when you see your damn life story on a sheet of paper, uh, and and what you it, it just it, it, there's just a uh, uh, it, it's like a vomiting effect that happens, and then then uh, then you have to get your, your nerve up to publish it. To, to, to you know, am I worthy? I can go to the library, a lot, a lot of good stories, a lot of good memoirs out there, but I had to go through like, well, who, what are they gonna think about me? Uh am I gonna destroy my friendships or relationships with this book? Because you have to you have to give it up. You have to you have to be vulnerable. And that was very difficult. And so I had to get through all that stuff. That's why these things take time because and some I think some of them just never get produced, but maybe because it's so because it's scary. It's scary to put
0: something out like this. Did you read it? I
1: have read it about a thousand times in the audio book. Uh, take 10, take 20, take 40. Yeah, but I mean,
0: okay, let me rephrase the question. When you read it the first time, what was your reaction?
1: Oh, my God. again, that was about a year ago. I was just shaking. I was shaking. I, there were times when I was scared to even look at the damn computer uh, because I didn't know what my emotions were going to be. Sometimes I would cry. Sometimes I just had to take a week off because I didn't you had to, it was a process, all the emotions, fear, there's not laughter, tunnel laughter, uh, just anxiety. Uh, so I looked at the book as like if it was some sort of a damn monster. I mean, you're going to look at it, but I just thought, Oh my God, uh, I can't believe, uh, I can't believe uh, this happened. And uh, so, yeah, it was, uh, it was a hell of an experience. There's no doubt about that.
0: You know, sometimes when, um, when we sort of has, have our resume read back to us, you know, and in, in, in book form, you start to read back all the things that you had to overcome and all the things that you went through to get to a point where you could serve 31 years. Are you surprised that you were able to do it all?
1: Yes, I'm very surprised. And my, the, uh, everybody says, everybody, uh, friends, family member, uh, my my dad's best saying, he says it all the time is, son, you surprised the hell out. Of and, and again, it's, that was, up. It, it's, yes, and it, 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 you can look at those, also Those reviews, and you'll see some people saying, he surprised the hell out of me, my my first leader in the National Guard laughed, laughed he was drinking a beer in his hand, he laughed, I told him I was going to go to college, and he almost fell over laughing, and so, but, you know, it, 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 I, but I, it was my fundamental philosophy, really goes, I'm, I'm not a Navy SEAL or anything like that, but it's still, it's still that same old thing we hear about is just don't quit. So some, I compensated in ways that I, which I, I detail out in the book. I, I became creative. I, I compensated. Sometimes you meet someone that doesn't have a left hand and you never knew it because he gets around so well. There's some people look at me and say, well, I didn't think you were a dumbass, but most of them do. But sometimes you can develop ways around things and uh, be creative and how you accomplish the mission I wasn't necessarily a rules and regulation guy. Matter of fact, it scares the hell out of me if someone says, in accordance with AR regulation, if someone says that, 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 I can't stand it. It drives me crazy because I don't think that way. I think I I can't think that way. So, uh, and I know that everybody says, we got regulations and regulations. Well, I don't know. Hell, I can't even read the damn things. I I, I sure don't think that way. And so, uh, but no, that's kind of the way that goes and the way I worked around things.
0: Um, In that same vein, you know, one of the reviews, remember, I asked you earlier about the reviews. One of the reviews uh, is from a person who claims to have served under you as an E4 when you were a first lieutenant in Korea. I want to <laughs> out loud. George Anu. Yeah, read this out loud for the audience here. Quote, any conversation with him is a direct stream of thought straight from his brain to his mouth, unfiltered. He is unencumbered by the typical reservations of a more prudent person in the expression of his gastrointestinal distress. Even in the nineties, when we served together, this type of behavior becoming appropriate, especially from an officer. I honestly did not think that Lieutenant Pike would survive the military after we went our separate ways. He was a relic from another age with a learning disability and the polish and tact of a bag of rusty hammers. (laughs) Some way he survived. Not only that, he thrived close quote, uh, there's some uplifting words in there, and then not so uplifting words on there. Kind of just to encapsulate those range of emotions that you just heard.
1: Yes, exactly. Uh, I've got a chapter called "Scratching, Farting, and Belching." So this is meant for the you know common grunt soldier or someone who wants some entertainment. But it's true. It's this it's the truth, and, and what he said is total truth.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if I'd like to be described as having the tact of a bag of rusty hammers, but I certainly. <laughs> understand uh the at least the, the idea of it uh what have you learned most from the military
1: well it seems that uh i've learned everything can be possible if you look at it a little differently in accordance with how you think uh, you, uh don't uh, get to you we're always going to get depressed and uh get down but somehow you got to get back up and i think that uh Personal relationships, just like with that guy who told me I was a bag of rusty nails, these are the folks to your left and right, they're going to get you through things and uh, whether it be just camaraderie or a mission accomplishment, I was always good with troops, um, maybe that way, but uh, I was, uh, they all looked up to me and they all respected me and uh, I was better as a commander than I was as a staff officer, but that's kind of the thoughts I've got.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, again, I... uh... I want to rephrase the question a little bit. I mean, look, look, you've learned so much from yourself about how to overcome and not put the word can't in your vocabulary, right? Like, I think that, that that's fair. Uh, what did you take away from the military? Was there something that where you were the square peg and the military was the round hole that you looked at and said, okay, I need to be more of the round hole than the square peg in this scenario, like kind of deal?
1: Yeah, if, if there was a way for me to be a little bit more polished, uh, political, I think that would be much easier i mean I would have had a, a better opportunities i would have had a, a it wouldn't have been such a jagged scale uh, if there was some way that you can just sort of go along to get along sometimes i think um, that's good there's some yeah um, you know yeah that's that's my thoughts um if you could try to fit into that round hole and uh, do a little you know do that what the organization says you you might find yourself in less trouble than I
0: was. Right. Yeah. I mean, again, from somebody who, uh, of the same ilk has uh struggle with diplomatic tact over the years, uh, in the military, um, you know, I, I, I counter with, I never compromised my integrity for tact. Like if I didn't agree with a decision, I made it known. I didn't agree with the decision sometimes to my own detriment. Now, again, I didn't do it disrespectfully. I didn't say, Hey, yeah. sir, idiot you know or hey man that's a dumbass idea like you know but I would voice my my concerns and my disagreement with it because uh, I truly felt in my heart and and what I believed from from my seat was what I was seeing on the ground in front of me and I I expected to be you know at least um, heard even if even if not saying you have to agree with my 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 assessment but you know I, I think the tact part of things is always difficult because there's so much of You know our organization that depends on rank and structure and and taking orders from above uh, for success but in the same respect I've always been somebody who believes that 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 hurts the freedom of thought and that's not what I ever wanted to be around
1: Yes and uh, I definitely needed that freedom of thought (laughs) especially being someone who's a learning disabled person and yes getting investigated in Korea if I could have just gone along to get along but I did say that I don't care to publish papers and do all this research because I, if I could do it, but I wasn't going to give the excuse that I really can't read and write because or I cannot follow. I, that was a deep, dark secret of being what I'm telling you about this learning disability. They don't know that. But that, the, but, so I, I, I just said, no, I'm staying away from that. I don't want to go into that route. That's not my strength anyway. But it, I guarantee you, if I were to tell them privately, you know, I really can't do this stuff. They would, uh, you know, it's competition, especially when you get in the ranks. There's a whole lot of you know backstabbing people trying to climb that ladder, and uh, so you have to be strong and you have to not show emotions that much. Uh, sometimes that's hard to do in a, in a in an organization
0: as you're moving up. Was there any negative reactions to the book?
1: Not, not, not. You know what. Uh, there were some so they said there were some misspellings uh there were some typos there was uh, we didn't I heard that. yeah there was there's some proofreading things but then again i never said i was some sort of genius so that kind of goes along with the theme anyway but uh yeah there's there's we could do a second edition a little this would be more of the raw and then do some proofreading a little bit on it um uh but yeah that that would be the negative part would be that
0: um, what would you change, if anything, about your um, your military career?
1: I love living overseas. So hindsight, twenty twenty, I should have I should have either got into like a foreign area officer, someone who would either work with the embassies and the state departments, because I had nine years living overseas, and I don't know there was something about it uh, that really I enjoyed, and so I would think maybe. I know special forces, they work a lot overseas and those special operators, but I'm thinking just to stay over there and maybe be a concentrated in that area or in that region, uh, maybe <clears throat> as a foreign area officer is, I think that would be a, a pretty cool sign for me looking back.
0: Um, if someone had, had, if one of your former troops, much like the guy who wrote a a review of your book, but if they, if they had come back and seen what you accomplished in your career. um, Do you think that they would be more surprised or do you think that there would be more of a, you know, despite the rough edges, I I always kind of knew you'd, you'd end up, you know, being in for a long time and succeeding.
1: I would say the majority uh, didn't believe, uh, couldn't believe I could, I made it. Matter of fact, there's some, uh, every time I made a certain rank and it, it was publicly acknowledged, there were some people saying, damn, he made another one. He made major. He made lieutenant colonel, whatever. They were surprised. A lot of them were surprised. There was just a few leaders that believed in me, but really, for the most part, your, your troops that are working with me to my left and right or down below, you know, or even below, they didn't they didn't think. Now, when I was in those, yeah, so there are certain positions also I excel at. When I had folks that, that could take care of me and I could take care of them and I was in that direct influence, I did well. Socially, yeah, this is a surprise the hell out of me type of story.
0: Um, any plans for the future personally? Are you just enjoying retirement right now? Are you going to write another book or what?
1: Right now, I'm going to get the word out on this book and do more podcasts. And I'm entertaining the thought of another book right now. Uh, so I don't know what that might be at this point, but I want to get this thing processed out of me just like you're helping me do right now and to get this out and i'm working on a skill right now which is expression uh in podcasting so i want to do that and then possibly work on another book um so that's in my future plans
0: i mean how cathartic is it to, to i know you wrote the book and you've done the audio book and everything else but you know sit down and share the story with somebody who's actively listening uh mm-hmm. how cathartic is that for you
1: that's a very good point. That's very cathartic. Uh, get the expression out because you do this a lot in your counseling. You have to. You have. When I went through that PTSD counseling, you had to get it out. Now I'm getting it out with a book in a different way. Um, there's a lot of things that I've gotten over or the hang-ups. I guess we all have our hang-ups and things of the past. And so what you do is you process that stuff. And what you could do if you don't write a book, another way you could process it out is you can go for a walk, go for a jog, get on the elliptical, and get those thoughts in your mind and allow it to be crossed out physically through images. Get rid of your pocket because you've already got – let's just say you've had this bad experience. Maybe you're in the – whatever. You just – Go through a pro- it's a processing mission, and, and it goes our body goes from left to right, or left to right, and then you just allow it. And if you feel like crying, you cry. If you feel like getting mad, you get mad. If you want to punch a bu- punching bag, that's a way of getting it out, but you want to go through the kind of relive. It could be a death of, 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 of someone, or it could be this or that, but you get those images in you, and you process it out mentally. If you don't want to go to a counselor, you can do that on your own.
0: So the book is available everywhere. I mean obviously on Amazon where we get the re- oh, yeah. wonderful you, reviews.
1: <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you go to jasonpike.org, you see the great. You can just read the reviews and just be entertained, but uh and then uh yeah, jasonpike.org. I got it on Audible, I got it on uh so and then yeah, it's on Amazon, it's on jasonpike.org. Uh just type it into your browser, you're going to get that and uh Yeah. And then really the main thing I'm, I'll let you know, I'm giving the money to the vets, uh, vets, the vet nonprofits are getting it. Um, so uh, reviews are what I'm really, you asked me what I'm doing. I'm trying to get some reviews, more reviews. that's just what Amazon wants. That's what they tell me they they want. So, so that's what I'm doing.
0: Um, (laughs) the other thing too, about the reviews, speaking of those, uh, There's a lot of people who express the sentiment that you prove them wrong. Do you take a lot of pride in that?
1: No, I mean, I I mean, well, I I proved them wrong. Yeah, I proved them wrong. That's the storyline in many ways. I proved them wrong. But, hey, that's just. Yeah, but it
0: almost seems like it's condescending to say when there's. he It's not like they said, well, between the physical limitations and the mental limitations, it's going to be a really tough uphill battle, but he proved me wrong. It almost seems like they're saying, well, this guy probably had no future in the military whatsoever. He was a black sheep of the officer corps. He he wasn't very good. He wasn't very smart. You know, like it's almost condescending. At least the way I'm reading it, it it comes across to me. I get like a condescending tone.
1: (laughs) I don't take it that way. I take those those reviews as entertainment. Um, I'm I'm just yeah. And I'm just happy. I, I, I'm happy that they gave the review myself and uh, you know, whatever their thoughts and opinion are, uh, are that's there, but it's for me in many ways to cherish. Um, And I, 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 I like, I like the reviews. <laughs> well,
0: again, the book is called a soldier against all odds, a memoir by Lieutenant Colonel retired Jason Pike. Uh, you can get it anywhere you get books. Uh, I'm so thankful that you you had the guts to reach out and, and, be willing to share your story. Uh, I'm, I'm always open to it. Um, you know, there are so many people who I asked to come on the show and I said, well, my story doesn't really do anything. It doesn't really measure up. And I, you know, I tell everybody again, it's not about that. It's uh, as we said, at the top of the show, it's about your story relating to somebody and somebody out there is feeling uh, like they're not going to survive the military and they're not going to, uh, they're that square peg trying to fit in a round hole, but yet they want to continue to serve. And there's a little bit of inspiration from, from Jason Pike there that they can follow. So, Uh, I, again, thank you so much for reaching out. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me on the show.
0: It has been great to get to know you again. One more time, the name of the book, uh, a soldier against all odds, uh, a memoir by Colonel Jason Pike. Jason, thanks again for the time today. And thank you for being part of the hazard ground.
1: Take care. Have a good one.
0: You've been listening to the hazard ground podcast hosted by Mark Zeno. If you have an interesting story to tell and you'd like to be on the show, send us an email at producer at And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.